Well, good morning, church. How are you today? You excited to be here? I am super excited to be here with you today. If you are a guest here today for the first time, you accepted someone's invitation, we want to welcome you. My name is Danny, and I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and this is my wonderful wife, better half. Her name is Jackie Anderson. Can we give it up for Jackie? Love, appreciate her being here. If you're watching online right now or Facebook Live, we, we welcome you and uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully today will be a blessing to you. We want to start a two-week series today, a very short uh, series called Death, Till Death Do Us Part. And it's really a, a short little series on marriage that we want to do. We did this about two years ago and it was a lot of fun and we thought we might try it again. And basically the idea behind this series is to talk about marriage. We love to do that because we really love our marriage. It's, it's very fulfilling, very enjoyable. It's not the perfect marriage by any means. We're not marriage experts at all. Uh, but what we wanted to do is try to, you know, just take what we've learned over the last, gosh, it'll be 19 years this, this August. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. August. Uh, so right, very exciting. Uh, we just want to take, kind of take what's in our cup and kind of pour it out, and, and hopefully that's be a blessing to all of you. And if you're struggling in your marriage today, or if you, know, if you want your marriage to improve, maybe you'll hear something uh, today or even next week that'll be a blessing to you. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of what we want to do over the next uh, two weeks. Yeah, uh, so as Danny said, my name is Jackie, and I'm just uh, thrilled and excited to be up here with Danny today. This is not my forte. Um, preschool ministry is kind of where uh, my sweet spot is, but I decided to jump out of the box for him. He asked really nicely, so I said yes. Um, yeah, as he said, we were married 19, almost 19 years ago, right here on this platform. Uh, my parents actually just celebrated 52 years of marriage Woo. on Monday. So, yeah. And uh, if you asked them what the secret to a good marriage is, if you asked my dad, he'd say the secret is, uh, yes, dear. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, they, they would tell you as well as anyone else, anyone else who's been married for a long time, it's just that marriage is hard. Uh, it's, it's hard to get to take two people who um, are just from two totally different backgrounds. For us, we are from two different parts of the country. East Coast, um, East Coast, yeah. yeah. Anybody? <laughs> you don't have much representation here, no. Midwest, woo, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, to take two people with their backgrounds and try to expect them to uh, move under one roof and to get along. It's hard to get along with each other. It's hard to deal with your spouse's bad habits, you know, whether they're constantly leaving their, you know, dirty socks on the floor or not picking up their dirty laundry or there's dishes in the sink or, you know, Danny, he sneezes a lot in the spring and in the fall. I feel bad because he can't help it. But man, it's like 10, 12, like in a row. I mean, that goes on for like minutes and you're just kind of like waiting. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, or, you know, something really silly, just like when, when your partner, I don't ever do this, but when your spouse has bad gas <laughs> and on top of that, they didn't tell you. And so, you know, you're rolling over and you're, you're pulling the sheets over and you get a whiff and it's just like, ugh. How come you didn't warn me? I don't know. I mean, it's just, but there's certainly some silly things, some small things, but definitely there are the heavier things like the baggage that your spouse might have brought into a marriage or that you have brought into a marriage that you're having to deal with. Um, that's just makes marriage difficult. And certainly then when you add little people into an already difficult situation, that 
it gets really complicated after yeah, that. For sure. Just to be clear, my wife has no bad habits at all. Uh, it's true. She never leaves hair in the shower, ever. Um, and she always puts her shoes away. I mean, it's amazing how she does that. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, marriage is a, it's, it's a big deal. Like I saw, I saw a stat the other day, a Gallup poll that came out in 2013 that said that 54% of Americans are married over the age of 18 and 20% are divorced and 21% are seeking marriage. And so if you add that up, that's 95%. And uh, so marriage, marriage affects almost every single one of us. And it affects your emotional life, your spiritual life, your financial life. I mean, it, it changes every aspect of your life. And it's a big deal. And marriages are really not doing that well today. I mean, the, the divorce rate is still hovering around 50%. And so we thought, you know, if we could just share a few things that could help, give assistance, give insight, maybe you'll pick up something that will be, uh, will be helpful to you in your marriage. And so, you know, something else that's really hurting marriage today is this new idea Maybe it's not so new, but it's becoming more and more popular that there's really a thought or, or, or a doubt that we're really supposed to be in a relationship long term. And that's what the question mark is all about here. Till death do us part. Like, really, is it really possible to stay in a happy marriage for your entire life till death do us part? We say that in our vows. But is that possible? And there's a lot of people questioning that. In fact, I came across an article here uh, from Psychology Today or psychology.com. Uh, today.com and this author said this this is so interesting the important point for individuals is for everyone to make sure that they're being honest about their needs when it comes to the fact that their needs for the future I'm sorry uh, to be honest about their needs maintaining flexibility and openness when it comes to the fact that their, that their needs could change in the future and remembering that they not social norms should decide who they are and, who, and what they want. For some, this will mean that they'll meet a true love over the course of their life. And for others, that means signing up for something more adventurous. When I read that, I thought, wow, that's, that's a popular thought today that, you know what, five years from now, I may want a shorter woman uh, who's got a better sense of humor and, uh, you know, my needs have changed, so I'm going to, you know, out with you and in with somebody new. That's really a popular thought today that we're so different and our needs are changing so much that it's all what I want to do and I may not want to be married to her or she may not want to be married to me and that's okay, so let me just go ahead and get a divorce and try something more, quote, adventurous. And we just don't believe that that reflects what God had in mind uh, when he designed marriage for human beings and we think it's actually possible to stay married and keep this vow till death do us part, not just keep the vow, but also have a fulfilling and satisfying marriage. So talk a little bit about what a satisfying or what a fulfilling marriage actually looks like. Right. So a fulfilling marriage can have so many different qualities, but just a few of them that we'll mention here uh, is that it's a marriage where there's lots of enjoyment. Uh, you enjoy spending time together. You have fun together. There's laughter and there's just, there's fun. Uh, it's a marriage where there's great communication, whether uh, that's just the day-to-day -day stuff, that, that's certainly necessary, but also the more important uh, close-to-heart things, the things that are going on with your emotions, there's great communication and a fulfilling marriage. There's safety, uh, you know, where I can just have a rough day and I can just, you know, fail on every aspect and just feel, you know, at the end of the day, like a total failure, but there's still somebody at the, on my corner who is on my side who's loving me regardless of, of those days. Uh, it's where you have your needs met. 
your physical needs met, your emotional needs met, there's lots of intimacy there. Uh, it's a one where you have a cheerleader. Uh, whether you are asked or promoted to a new position at work that might be challenging, or if you just decide to, to sign up for a 5K, you have a cheerleader in your corner. You have somebody on your side who's got your back, they're cheering for you, and they want the, your best life to happen. And it's one also where we're on a sense of mission together. We are going through life and we are, are accomplishing goals and doing things together. And we both know that we are accomplishing more together than we could if we were alone. Yeah, it's really good. So what we want to do today is uh, just talk about four big ideas that have really helped us to try to have that satisfying, that fulfilling marriage. And hopefully you'll just grab a pen and take some notes here, and hopefully this will be a blessing to you. So let's jump right into this first idea. Uh, what we try to do to create a fulfilling marriage is to honor each other, is to show or give honor to our spouse. And, or another word you could use for honor is respect. And just really show a ton of respect for each other. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. I love this passage in Romans chapter 12. It's not necessarily talking about marriage. It's talking about relationships in general. But the concept of this word outdo or what the meaning of the word means, it, what, it, what it is, is to go first and, or be the leader or take the initiative. In other words, don't wait for the other person to start to show respect and show honor for you to show honor. And a lot of marriages, ours included, have fallen into that trap. So, well, I'll start respecting you when you show some respect for me. Does that ever go well, guys? You know, ladies, does that ever go well? Because you'll be waiting around a long time, right? So instead, Paul says, go first. Like, like, honor this person, show respect for this person, and then what will happen is that person will uh, respond in kind, over time, will give the respect and give the honor back. A couple years ago, I read a book called The Love Dare. Anybody remember this book? You know, it's a 21-day challenge to improve your marriage, save your marriage, enhance your marriage, all that stuff. Really good content in there. One of, the def one of the things he said in there, or the authors gave a great definition of what it means to respect or honor. Look, look at this. To honor someone means to give them respect and high esteem, to treat them as being special and of great worth. I thought, wow, that's so huge. So really what I've been trying to do, what Jackie's been trying to do is to treat her or, and treat each other as, as someone who's incredibly valuable. And can you imagine... And if some of you who know me have been around, if, if I met Kevin Durant or if I met Michael Jordan, how much respect and honor would I give to them? Like just in a restaurant, right? I, I probably wouldn't be able to get a word out, right? So, you know, it's just this huge amount of respect and honor and, and I need to treat my wife that way. So share, share, some, share some ways that we try to do that practically in our marriage. Yeah, the, the first way we try to honor each other is just in our preferences, uh, this is really simple and, and seems kind of small, but I, I know that there's no way that, that Danny would have watched six seasons of Downton Abbey if he weren't honoring my preferences in what to watch on TV. Um, you know, another thing that I try to do for him in honoring his preference is just I know that at the end of the day, at the end of work, he would prefer not to walk into chaos <laughs> at the house. And uh, I just try to create a non-chaotic environment. And I'm not going to say it's organized or that it's awesome, but it's just not like a war zone. Mm -hmm. um, 
when the kids were younger and they were home when, uh, before him most of the time, it, they knew what I meant when I said, okay, five o'clock shuffle. And so at, at five o'clock, we, everybody would grab their backpacks, their books, their shoes, their jackets, and, and we'd set the table and kind of get everything ready so that when he walked in the door, it just was kind of a peaceful place to be. I was just trying to honor uh, his preference there. Uh, we also try to honor each other's time. Um, just our, what he would like to do with his time, what I would like to do with my time. I, for instance, when Danny's here on the weekend, he loves being here. He just, he's filled with energy. He loves just sharing with everybody what he feels God has laid on his heart to, to tell everybody. And uh, he does that Saturday and Sunday. And he's just, he's just on it. He's full of energy. But when he comes home on Sunday afternoon, he's exhausted. And so I just try to honor his time and knowing that um, it's not time for me to say, hey, can you run to the store? Hey, can you do this? You know, can you engage in all of these household things with me? Uh, it's just, he just needs time. And usually it's like a great Sunday afternoon nap and uh, then he's ready for Monday morning to kind of jump back in. I just try to honor his time in that way. And uh, lastly, we try to honor each other's opinions. And uh, this isn't hard when we're agreeing, right? This only gets difficult when we disagree with one another. And uh, we, when we honor each other's opinions, it's out of respect for one another because we both know that we're um, smart individuals. We've both had life experiences. We both have a lot to bring to the table. And um, not belittling each other's opinions is an important part of just getting along. Um, we do that out of respect for each other. Like I said, Dallas Willard has a great quote. And he says that respect guards against mistreatment. So when we're respecting each other, we're able to keep the argument that we're having on the level of the issue that we're actually talking about. When we're not respecting each other, that argument quickly spirals down to this other place, and that's where uh, personal attacks happen, name-calling. There's condescension. There's, uh, remember when you did this two years ago? And I know some people, a lot of couples, using you know, bad language and calling each other terrible, terrible names. Uh, but if we keep our, our argument on the level of the issue and we respect each other's opinion, we're able to kind of tackle that issue in a healthier way. Yeah, it really protects our marriage from, um, from abuse or mistreatment. And uh, each one of us feels a sense of dignity uh, when there's a lot of respect, when we're talking about a specific issue that we disagree on. That's really, really good. Something else we don't talk a lot about and we don't hear a lot about in church is, a, is an idea called uh, mutual submission. And if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard a sermon from Ephesians 5, uh, and maybe you haven't, but there's a great passage in Ephesians 5 that talks about the role of the husband. The husband is to love the wife as Christ loves the church, and the wife is to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. And that word submit means to kind of obey and follow, and, and that's, a, that's fine. And we agree with that, and they're the structure of the home that way, and, and we function that way. But a lot of times what gets left out of those sermons is verse 21. And this is what verse 21 says. It's, it says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. And what that means is that there are times where the husband has to also submit to the wife. 
and not just the wife to the husband. And what that simply means is that there are times where I need to say, you know what, I'm going to go with your call. I'm going to, I, I, I agree, I may disagree with your, your perspective, but you know you have more insight, you've read more, or you have this more experience than I do, and so I'm going to go with you and not just pull the I'm the husband card out and say, well, I'm the leader, so you do it my way, and that's just not good for our marriage. It's not good for any marriage, and it, it makes the wife feel very resentful. So what makes mutual submission possible is mutual respect. Like it's really difficult to submit to somebody if you don't respect them. And so mutual respect actually creates or makes mutual submission possible. That's really helped our marriage. Wouldn't you agree? Yep, I yeah, agree. Awesome. So why don't you talk about the, the second idea that really helps us to have a satisfying, fulfilling marriage. Yeah, uh, something else that really helps us in our marriage is parenting together. Um, gosh, parenting is a challenge. I don't think there is a class out there that could prepare you for uh, the 18-year-long journey that is called parenting. Uh, it's a challenge. It's hard. And, uh, you know, there are great materials out there of, of how to rear children when they're young and how, you know, up to, I don't know, through elementary age. But, gosh, the book we need right now, if you have it, would be called Driving, Dating, and College. Because that's where we're living right now. And sex. So, and yeah. that, that too. <laughs> uh, so if you have that book, please see me after the service. I'd love to get a copy of it. I just want to share and let you know we are not through this journey, this part of our life stage at, by any means. And we uh, may be experts like maybe 15 years down the road. But right now we're in the trenches with everybody. And we just want to share a couple of things that have helped us along the way. And the first one is to just be on the same page. And that's as much as possible <laughs> because it's hard to be on the same page. We are always communicating with one another about our kids and the choices that need to be made, whether it has to do with sports or school or extracurriculars or youth group, uh, food, uh, where they're going to go with their friends. We're just always talking about those things uh, because we know we need to be on the same page with one another. Uh, when a kid comes in the room and says, hey, mom, dad, can I do this or that? Unless we really quick off the bat know what the other one's going to say and we can agree just by looking each other in the eye. Um, a lot of times there's a, um, I don't know, you need to leave the room. We're going to talk about it uh, while you're gone. And, and then we're going to come to an agreement so that we can be a unified front in front of our children. And the reason that's so critical is because the kids are, they're like sharks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they smell blood in the water, they, they're going to attack, you know. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you had to read um, Lord of the Flies in high school, but that's what happens. It's like Lord of the Flies. I don't know. The kids are in charge, right? Uh, but not, in order to combat that and to... Um, keep the, the adults in charge. We just know we have to be on the same page. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, something else when it comes to parenting that, that we're really passionate about is valuing the marriage relationship as the most important relationship. And I've seen a lot of people get this wrong. You know, they, they raise their kids, they send them off to college, and then they realize they have an empty nest, and they're like, oh, who are you? Like, and then they realize, that, oh, I don't, I don't like you. And so it's like, well, why don't we just get a divorce? We're done with our parenting. And so after 20 years, these couples are getting divorced. It's like, well, how does that happen? Well, they didn't make the marriage relationship the primary relationship in the home. And so uh, dad was best friends with the son, mom was best friends with the daughter, but they weren't best friends with each other. And so this is really not the way God has set things up. 
Uh, he wants the marriage relationship to be the primary relationship in the home. In fact, in Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and they will hold fast, or he will hold fast or cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This, this term, one flesh, here literally means one unit. There's a oneness factor between a husband and a wife that, that uh, is unique. And it, there's, a, there's not a oneness factor when it comes to father-son, mother-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter. Those are great relationships, and they're tight, and they're strong, but there's, they're not one flesh. And so what this means is that the most important relationship in the home is the marriage relationship. And what this does, and this might not feel good to your kids, you know, some of you don't have kids yet, and I strongly encourage you to, to think this through before you have kids. Uh, some of you have kids right now, and, and you're getting maybe this, this, you're, this is not really the way it is in your home. But what this does for your kids, it might be awkward for them at first, and it certainly is for our kids sometimes. They kind of sometimes they feel like second rate in the home, you know, which it feels that way sometimes, like mom and dad, like this is the primary relationship and you guys are going to come second. And so it kind of feels uncomfortable, but in the long run, it's exactly what they need. Like our kids, your kids, they need to know that everything at home is safe and secure. And the only way for them to truly know that is if mom and dad are like solid and in love and they're just all about each other. That creates the environments for security, which is what they need. Plus, on top of that, it teaches them that they are not the center of the home, which is such an important principle, especially in our world of selfies and social media, where it's all about me and look at me and aren't I pretty and let me take 75 pictures to get the right one. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? So they need to learn that, wow, the world doesn't revolve around me. And they learn that first in the home when they see that their relationship or that they are not the center of the home, mom and dad are. And so some of the ways that we try to do that, do this is to really be verbally encouraging towards each other in front of the kids. We never try to, we never tear each other down in front of, in front of, in front of the children or we try not to anyway. And then another way we do it is by showing lots of physical affection. And so mo- usually I'm the one who initiates this. I'm hugging on her, kissing on her, loving on her. And, and we do that in front of the children, not necessarily intentionally, uh, but by default it's in front of them. One, the other day I was kissing on Jackie quite a bit and uh, you know, <laughs> One of our kids saw it happen and, and he said, man, you kissed her like five times. I said, well, I didn't know you were counting, but yeah, she, you know. Uh, and so what that does is it shows that like we, we are into each other. Like this is, this is so important for them to see. And another way we do this is, and this is so critical, is the discipline of, of spending time alone. And we do this on a weekly basis, you know, we try to at least to say, hey, we're going to go on a date night and, and you guys are going to stay home. Did it again this last weekend. And since sometimes we do some extended time or, you know, where we do a week by ourselves and, and I strongly encourage you to do that if you can work it out. Uh, because when you bring the kids with you on vacation, it's not a vacation, it's called a trip. It's a trip. Yeah. Some of you like some new idea. It's like, oh, that's why I don't like going on vacation because it's a trip. It's like parenting in a foreign country. You know, that's, that's fun. You know, uh, so, so we leave the kids home and, and sometimes we'll do a two-day thing. We'll get an Airbnb somewhere, you know, downtown. And we just have a discipline of spending time alone. And that communicates that the, the marriage relationship is the primary relationship in the home. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, something else about parenting. Sure, you have another thought. Yeah, uh, another thought is that just both parents must parent. 
And, uh, you know, in a lot of families, it's, it's easy for one parent to be the one who deals with the schoolwork and communicating with teachers and dealing with the schedules and all of the discipline and the difficult conversations and, you know, the door slamming and all of the, you know, bad attitudes. And while the other parent just gets to be the fun parent mm -hmm. or where one parent has to deal with all of the difficult, nasty parts of parenting while the other one is just always at work or maybe they're home and they're just not engaging. Um, and, and allowing that to happen just creates resentment between the husband and wife. And so if we allow that to happen and I'm the one doing all the hard work, then I get resentful of him for not participating in, in the difficult parts. So there's certainly a lot of fun to parenting. We enjoy our kids, we enjoy being together, but it's also very, very hard. And, and if one person has to deal with it, it just creates resentment. So yeah. being there together, getting our, our hands our, up to elbows deep uh, into the dirty and, and difficult parts of parenting together, I think that really, that really helps create a fulfilling marriage. And it's not always been that way for us, and we still have to work on that. I tend to be the one where it's like, man, I'm tired, and I don't want to engage in that. Could you go have the conversation? Would you go talk to her, him, her, whatever? But we're, we're really trying to work on that, so um, it's really good. You know, some, some of you are divorced today, and you see this, and you're like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> you got two parents in the house. It's easy for you to parent together. My ex is in some other town or some other home. And, and, and here's what I want to tell you, you know, not from experience, but from observing other divorced parents who are trying to do it, you know, with a spouse who's in a different home, it can still happen. Like I know folks who are divorced and they have children, but they are working together, using their cell phones, using their email, constantly communicating. Here's what's going on at school. Here's what's going on with the boyfriend. Here's what's going on, you know, with an attitude or whatever. It's still possible to parent together, even though you're divorced and you're living in separate homes. So, so and let me say it this way. Divorce does not abdicate a person from the responsibility of parenting. And so some of you have been thinking, yeah, well, I'm divorced. You know, I can't really engage like I used to. You can engage. It may be more difficult. It may be more challenging, but it's still possible to parent together even though you're divorced. So that comes from a place of, of love. Please don't hear me. I'm not judging. I'm just saying if you really want to, you can make it happen. Let's talk about the third principle of what helps us to have a fulfilling marriage. Yeah, I love this one. And this is just planning together. Uh, this really helps us create a fulfilling marriage. Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 5 says that good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. And uh, gosh, we are so busy. We've got three kids, as we've mentioned, between the ages of middle school and high school. There are extracurriculars. There's uh, the homework and the schoolwork. There's church. There's youth group. You know, each one of them is in their own small group, and I love that. And it's great, and I totally support it, and I want them to do that. But Wednesday night in our house is just a little chaotic. And uh, if we aren't planning and we aren't working together to know what's going on throughout the week, things can get off the rails really, really quickly. When that happens, people don't have clean laundry. I mean, are we the only ones that our kids will like play two games without washing the jersey between, you know? I mean, that, that's what happens when things go off the rails. There's not food for dinner, so it's cereal again that we're having. Um, there's, uh, you know, the sock box. This is how I really know when we're, when we're going off the rails is the sock box comes out. Uh, do you all have one of these? 
And it's where all the, you know, every time you do laundry, somehow there's like three socks. And I still can't, I don't know how this happens. They don't happens. match up. Yeah, but, but there's always like three leftovers. And so they go in the sock box. And hopefully somebody would one day pull those out and match them all up, but it never really happens. And so when, when, we're, when we are struggling with this, the sock box is out like every morning that week. And people are like frantically like, you know, going through it, just trying to find two that might make a, enough of a match that they can get away with wearing them to school for the day. That, that is what's going on when we, are, uh, when we haven't planned very well. And it's just not, we're kind of reduced to uh, survival mode when that happens. And it's just not fun. We're all kind of stressed. Uh, nobody knows where stuff is. And we're just not in our sweet spot as a family. We just aren't functioning at our best. And so there's real quickly just three different types of planning that we try to implement uh, that really goes a long way with us. And that first is yearly planning. Uh, so this happens, I love this, this meeting. Uh, usually I have to be like, hey, we have to, we have to do our yearly plan. We have to, you know, because he's just more like, ah, oh, I'm so busy. I don't really want to think about it. But I have to force him to, and I think you're glad when we do. But we get out the school calendars, we get out the church calendar, and I'll usually print out uh, the following year, you know, January through December, and we kind of lay it all out and, and put in, if you've ever heard Stephen Covey talk about uh, the big rocks, putting in big rocks in your week versus, you know, and then letting the small rocks fill in. The big rocks are those important things, these, the, the things that are value-driven that you know, we do this because it's, you know, there, it's not just going to happen and it's not happenstance that these things occur, that we create them. So uh, we put in, first of all, our week alone. And for us, we usually get to go away and we get to, you know, take a break from the kids and the kids love spending time with their grandparents, so it's a bonus for them as well. Uh, we definitely try to create a week of family time. Uh, whether we get to do a family vacation or it's just a week of like, hey, we're going to shut everything out for the week. We're not going to do extra stuff. We're not going to hang out with other people. We're just going to have some intensive family time. Uh, and then summer camp for us is a really big deal. We both feel that it's really important to send our kids to church camp. Uh, we highly value that, and so we will definitely put those in on the calendar too. And then the other things that kind of come up during the year will have to come underneath those big rocks. But that way we've got the things that are values-driven planned already. Uh, the next is weekly planning. Uh, every week on Sunday afternoon, usually after he gets up from his Sunday afternoon nap, we'll pull out our planners and we'll just kind of go over the week. Uh, who's got a game? Who's got a practice? How are they going to get there? How are they going to get home? And um, how many nights, you know, now we used to have dinner like five nights a week as a family, but now it's like, which two nights do you think we can actually sit down for 30 minutes together as a yeah. family and eat? It was just the life stage we're in, but we kind of try to figure all of that out when we plan weekly. Um, and then the last one is just daily planning. And this is not really a meeting as more just a, a check-in. Like, hey, what's going on with you tomorrow? Or, or what's your day look like today? What has changed? Because we all know that you can get that last minute email that uh, practices later or that the location has changed or it's canceled altogether. And just being able, being uh, remembering to check in with each other and let each other know when those things are happening. I usually get a nine o'clock phone call uh, usually Danny's in between meetings and he'll give me a phone call and just kind of check in. If my phone rings at nine, I know exactly See what she's up doing. to, you know? She got a boyfriend, like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> but no, this weekly planning for us, 
you know, even though I, I didn't like this at first, but the weekly planning has made our life so much, it has reduced so much stress in our life because we know who's getting, who's picking up who, where the games are, who's got to be somewhere, somewhere, how my schedule, her schedule, and it has been a huge, huge re, uh, stress reducer in our life. And so uh, let's talk about this last one. It's probably the most important one. Um, it's called focusing on the good, focusing on the good. This has changed our marriage. Uh, I mentioned a few minutes ago, I, I read this book, Love Dare, a couple years ago, and it's a great book, and there's so much good stuff in there, but chapter seven, or day seven of the challenge, uh, the author talks about these two mental rooms that you can spend time in when it comes to your spouse. He calls one room the appreciation room, and then he calls another room the depreciation room. And basically the idea is that each one of us uh, can spend time in, in this, either the, the appreciation room or the depreciation room when it comes to our spouse. And he describes the appreciation room like this. It's the place you go into and, and on the walls of this room, there are all these wonderful qualities about your spouse. You know, they're fun loving, they're, you know, they've got a great sense of humor, they're thoughtful, they're hardworking, they're honest, you know, and they're beautiful, beautiful eyes, beautiful shape, whatever. Um, and they, all these great things. And, and do you remember when you were dating you spend a lot of time in this room when you're dating. You, do you remember that time? It's like, oh, they're so awesome. Like they, you, like they could almost do no wrong. Like you never ever thought anything negative about or almost nothing negative. And uh, the author in the book says that when you spend time in the appreciation room, what ends up growing inside of your heart, these two things, thankfulness and gratitude. And they're, I guess they're pretty closely connected. And so I was like, man, I'm going to try that, you know. And so I started to, you know, spend time in the, in, in, the, in the appreciation room thinking through. And my wife makes it easy. She's got all these wonderful qualities. She's a great mom. She's a great spouse. She's a servant. She's a hard worker. She taught school for two years. She did, I mean, she's a great teacher. And, and I was like, and then, oh, here's what happened. I, and I kid you not. It wasn't a miracle, but it was wonderful to, to I guess it might have been a miracle, I'm not sure. Uh, but I started to feel like tremendous amounts of gratitude and thankfulness towards her, which led me to want to serve her more and love her more and, 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 and kiss on her more and touch her more, which doesn't always go well for us because... <laughs> That's my love language. It's not necessarily her love language. She's a quality time person if you've read the five love languages. But it really caused me to want to be around her more and just bless her more. And that's the power of the appreciation room. We're focusing on the good. Talk a little bit about the, the other side, the depreciation room. Yeah, so if you have the appreciation room, conversely, you have its opposite. You have the depreciation room. And if you could imagine... Uh, in this room, you would have written on the walls everything that bothers or irritates you about your spouse. And then imagine you have like a filing cabinet and, and in the drawers of this filing cabinet are all the ways that they have ever hurt you, uh, they've ever disappointed you, let you down, uh, the, the words they've said that can never be taken back, actions that have been done, uh, those are, that's filling up these filing cabinets. And then over here you might have a sofa with a, a screen and, and there's a film playing. And the film is just uh, clips that just play over and over and over again of all the negative things that they've ever done. Same thing that's in the filing cabinet, the ways they've disappointed you, they've hurt you, things that they've said that they can't take back, actions they've done that can't be reversed. And you're just seeing a, a physical image of those things playing over and over again. 
And then over here, you've got uh, a pile of ammunition. And, and this is what you're storing up for the next big fight. You're kind of, maybe it's things you haven't thought about yet, but it's, it's kind of things that they're doing that you haven't approached them about. But, but when you do fight, it'll be like, oh, you know, you did this, this, and this on top of what we're fighting about. You've got that ammunition stored up. And, and there's another thing in this room, and that's a little garden that's in the center of the room. And, and in this garden are the seeds of anger and bitterness and resentment and the more time you spend in the depreciation room, the, the, the more these plants grow. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of take over like a weed or like a vine that you just can't stop. And, and the, the more they grow and the bigger they become, they choke out any love that was there before. And, and this is where the beginnings of divorce happen as well. Mm -hmm. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, talks a lot about love. It says love is patient, it's kind, uh, it's not arrogant, it doesn't boast. But possibly one of the most important things that it says is that it keeps no record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. And really that's all the depreciation room is. It's a record-keeping room. And you are keeping all of the records of, of every bad experience you've had with this person in this room. And when you spend time there, it just breeds more negativity and cultivates that, the anger and the bitterness and the resentment. So what's interesting is that we get to choose which room we spend our time in. We can choose to spend time over here and, and, and think about all these negative things and replay these movies over in our mind and that will create more angerness and bitterness and it will create a, a wall between two people and it will create silence and it will create um, a lack of communication and love. Or we can spend time in the appreciation room and we can think about all the great memories we've had and all the positive things they've done and all the good char character qualities that they have that made us fall in love with them in the first place. And that creates love and appreciation and gratitude. And what you find is each one has, has like a a cyclical response. When you're spending time in the depreciation room, uh, you respond to your spouse negati negatively, and for the most part, they respond negatively, and then you respond, and it's, it's just a downward spiral, and it goes nowhere. But when you spend time in the appreciation room and you are showing honor to them, and you are choosing their preferences, and you are choosing to think about what they, uh, all the great things that they have, and, and that, makes you show love to them, then they respond in kind with kindness, love, gratitude. And there we have an upward cycle. So I think that's important to note, but I think for the most part, we've chosen to spend time in the appreciation yeah. room. Yeah, we're trying, yeah. we're doing better. A couple of years ago, we fell into the trap of the depreciation room. I, I preached a sermon series around Christmas time about saying no to all of the things that everybody expects you to do around Christmas, like Christmas parties and presents, wrapping presents and decorating the house. And so, uh, do you remember that sermon series at all? It's okay if you don't. People forget my sermons all the time. It doesn't offend me. Uh, but I remember it, and I remember that Christmas season. I said, I'm going to live this out. Like, I'm not going to wrap presents. I'm not going to decorate the tree. I'm not going to decorate the house. And I just didn't want to be stressed out. So I'm like, no, you don't have to. We don't have to do all that stuff. Well, she was not on the same page. Remember, he said, as much as possible. And so she got mad at me because instead of wrapping, uh, decorating the tree, I watched the Kevin Durant documentary, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> 
so she's rapping, she's doing the tree, and I'm with Andrew on the couch watching, the, you know, anyway. Uh, so she got mad and then started to give me a little bit of coldness. Well, then I got mad because I'm like, I'm the preacher. I need to live out my sermons. You know what I'm saying? Like I was justified and all that stuff. Um, and so I got mad at her. And then like, there was a week that went by that we didn't even talk. And the only time we spoke to each other was because we absolutely had to. And you know, that's not a good place to be in your marriage. And in fact, you know, after about a week of that, I realized, man, this is how divorces take place. Like there wasn't any big affair. Nobody ever, nobody spent a bunch of money that we didn't know about. It was just the fact that I didn't like her and she didn't like me. And because I, I said this and I didn't do this and she got cold and I got cold and we kind of shut down communication. And it's like, wow, if we don't reverse this thing, we're going to like, we're going to get worse. And so I made the choice to call a timeout and said, hey, you know, this isn't right. And you really are a really nice person, a really great person. And, and. <laughs> What I chose to do was to jump back into the appreciation room and, and things started to change and my emotions started to change and then she started to treat me differently because I started to treat her differently and we pulled out of that. But anybody can fall into the depreciation room. Like you don't have to be a horrible person to fall into that. You just got to st- have some stinking thinking in your brain and then you go and you have some, some stinky feelings. And so, uh, so here's my goal. My goal is very simple these days. I want to make it so easy for her to find the appreciation room. Like, I don't want the appreciation room to be this, like, tiny little room somewhere in her mind. Like, where was that room? I found it one time three years ago. You know, it's around a couple of corridors. You know, I want the appreciation room to be this gigantic room with a huge door with lights that she could go in, in and out all day and go, oh, my husband, he's awesome. He's a servant. He, he's funny. He's this. He's that. I want her to, like, I want it to be easy for her. So not only do we have a choice to, to, to go into each room, we also have a choice to make it easy for our spouse to go into the appreciation room or the depreciation room. So that's my challenge for myself and and for each other. And so has this been good, fun stuff, helpful? Awesome. You know, we talk about focusing on the good. We, you know, we talk about honoring each other. We talk about planning yearly, planning weekly, planning daily. And we talked about parenting together. So these are some great ideas, but I'll tell you what, the, you know, the reason that our marriage is where it is, again, it's not perfect. We have tons of room to grow and, and sharpen each other and get better. But the reason it's satisfying and fulfilling right now, it's not so much an idea. Yes, we shared some cool ideas with you today that are working for us. And there are others we didn't have time to talk about. But it's not necessarily the ideas at the root of why our marriage is where it is today. I can tell you, and my wife would agree 100%, the reason we're at today is because of a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And we were singing about him earlier, you know, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. We believe in the person of Jesus Christ. It's his strength, it's his power, it's his teachings on forgiveness, on grace, on what love actually looks like. It's his teachings through the Apostle Paul on what patience looks like and kindness looks like that have helped us to get to where we are today in our marriage. And I know there's some of you out there today and you, you know exactly what we're talking and you're like, yep, amen, yep, that's right. And then there's others of you who are like, no, we don't have Jesus as the center. And that's why we have hurt, you know, the, the stuff that we have that we're dealing with in our marriage. Pain and hurt and anger, unkindness, rudeness, and, and all that stuff that hurts a marriage. And so maybe here, you're here today and, and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I would encourage you not, not to necessarily have a good marriage, and of course, he'll help with that. But Jesus actually came to show you how to have real life. And when I say real life, I'm talking about abundant life. I'm talking about a life filled with purpose and meaning, a life filled with joy and peace, a life free from anger and bitterness and lust and wrath, jealousy, pride, all that garbage that plagues the human soul. Jesus came to to show you how to find that life. Yes, take you to heaven when you die, certainly, that's eternal life, but also to begin living abundantly right now. And of course, that helps with your marriage and your finances and all that other stuff. But maybe today you need to put your faith in Jesus and start a relationship with him. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. And if you'd like to put your confidence in Jesus today and trust him as your savior, you just take these words and make them your own and put your life in his hands today. And by faith, you will become one of his children. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Just say these words, take them and make them your own. Jesus, today, I trust you. I trust that you you made a way. I believe you died on the cross to wash away all my sin, my shame, my guilt. I believe you rose again, that you came back to life and conquered the penalty of sin so that I could experience true life. Life the way you meant it to be lived. And so I receive you today as my Savior. I put my life in your hands. My faith is small, but it's real. Help me from this day forward to grow and to learn how to follow you, to love you, to obey you, and to honor you with my entire life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer of faith, that's the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life because it's one that will impact your eternity. And we like to celebrate that as a church, don't we, guys? Come on, give it up. Raise it high. Come on. Best decision ever. Amen. If you just put your faith in Christ, our church loves to give out these little one-year Bibles just to kind of get you started on your walk with Jesus. And so if you prayed to receive Christ, go back to the tables in the back of the auditorium. If you're watching on Facebook Live or online right now, just click that box there. It says, I accepted Christ. Put your, email, uh, your uh, street address there, and we'll send one of these to you in the mail as well if you're watching online. And um, well, also, also, real quick, real quick, I know we're trying to wrap up here. If, if you're sitting here today and, and you didn't pray that prayer because you still have questions, you still have doubts about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, you know, about evil, or whatever your doubts are, questions are, we've got an environment that we created for you called Starting Point. It's a short-term conversational environment specifically designed for people that are not quite ready to trust Christ, but they're interested and you still want answers to some questions. And so when you go back to the starting point tables, you can inquire about something called starting point. So please do that. One last thing before you go, really quick, really quick. I know some people are leaving. Don't leave yet, don't leave yet. Next week, we're going to do something different, okay? We're not going to come with prepared thoughts like we did today, although that would be fun. I'd prefer that. But we have this other idea. What we're going to do is answer your questions. 
next week. And so what I would ask you to do today is go to, or maybe tomorrow, go to question at eclife.org and you can ask us, put your questions in there, questions about marriage, questions about relationships, whatever they are, no such thing as a dumb question, questions, more, more questions about marriage if you want, want to talk more about that, maybe about planning, or you can text your question into 65248. The way you do that is you text the word, the word question, then Put your question in there and then put in 65248. And next week, Jack and I are going to do our best to answer some of those questions. Does that sound like fun? Yeah? Awesome. So be sure to do that. Will you pray with me as you wrap up? Jesus, thank you so much that we can gather, talk about this thing called marriage, this wonderful creation that you've given us to fulfill each other, but also to be a blessing to the world. I want to thank you for my wife. Thank you for the, the person that you've given me to spend the rest of my life with. Thank you for her heart. Thank you for her mind, the way you've created her to think. Thank you for her will, the, the things that you put in her heart to do. Thank you for the things that she loves, the cares that she has. Thank you for her love for our children and her commitment to parent them well. I pray that you'd bless our marriage and that it would bear the fruit that you had in mind when you brought us together. And I pray for every other marriage in here as well and every future marriage in here. God, that it, that, that marriage would be what you designed it to be as we put forth the effort and apply some of these principles and truths. We love you. Thank you for the opportunity to have this discussion. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Love you guys. Send in your questions. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.